Welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Molina. This is episode two with Dr. Barry Sears, my good friend and very respected colleague, author of The Zone Diet. We're going to jump right in. Hopefully you listened to the first episode. If you didn't, you don't want to miss it because you're going to learn a lot about inflammation and the three phases of the resolution response. So welcome back, Dr. Sears. It's so great to continue this wonderful conversation. It's such a pleasure. Well, thank you. Okay, so we're jumping right in. I, I, this is, I, I, you know, in your in your new book or the most recent book, the Resolution Zone, which came out in two thousand nineteen. Um, I, I really love. I can't even tell you how much I love this chapter that you did on diet fallacies, and I'm gonna pick out just a couple because you know. There's a new area of medicine called functional medicine, and I think there's a lot of what they do that is good. I think focusing on food first, but when I read these things, and the first thing is you have to cut all carbohydrates, all sugar, all gluten, all dairy, all lectins, all alcohol, all caffeine, my head starts spinning and I want to give up before I even start. So, and you really tackle these topics uh, head on. And I think your assessment of the gluten uh, was the best I've ever read. So talk a little bit about that. Why do we, does the average person not have to be so crazy about gluten and build up this billion dollar industry? Well, uh, because that's how you build up a billion-dollar industry. You find the, the evil one. You say, there's the evil one. Burn it. Burn it at the stake. They're saying, uh, you know, the, the body is more complex. You need a balance. So the fact is that uh, the easiest way toward, uh, you know, the 15 seconds of fame uh, in America today is say, I have discovered the reason that we are sick and it's been either a secret ingredient that, is, uh, that I have found and I'm smarter than anybody else in the world, or there's a conspiracy of the drug industry. Say, give me a break. So what do we have to take, take a grain, all those have a grain of salt, but let's basically, we have to put them in perspective. Uh, and the real key word around diet is balance. Now, uh, let's, let's take the gluten aspect. Say, this is all came from, you know, a few individuals say, gluten kills. I say, do you have any data? I feel it in my bones. Uh, so I said, okay, that's that's science for the 21st century. Uh, but it's, the gluten is not a killer. It's a killer if you have basically a leaky gut. And if you have, why do you have a leaky gut? Your gut is inflamed. So I was saying, first asked, and, not, and really now we know more, it's not the gluten usually, it's usually called the fomamps. Mm-hmm which are the problems. So this makes it more complicated, but it's so easy to say it's gluten-free, uh, like a bottle of wine. It's gluten-free. It's good for you. Everything is good for you in moderation. So it's not saying there's uh, an evil one. Say, how can we get, take the foods we do eat and make a better balance, a better balance to do things which are more important, that is control our hormones. Hormones are basically very powerful to control our genetic expression to really control our metabolism. But those are two complex arguments and they don't sell books. Right. No, I, I, so what I love, there's a couple points that I love that you brought up and, and I think they're so spot on. And I, I love, you know, I, I think maybe the reason that <clears throat> some of these 
you know, popular diets and, and, you know, functional medicine people have become so popular is because I do think that a lot of people have inflamed guts. And so, but, but it's, you know, just shotgun medicine, cutting everything out of the diet and, and maybe not even necessarily healing the gut is the wrong approach because it's causing people to falsely eliminate all these things. That, and it can be very difficult when you eliminate so many things from your diet to actually get a balanced diet. But I love how you explain it that, and I think this is important for people to remember, and I try to say this to patients all the time, is that many of these gluten-free products actually are much lower in the fermentable fibers that are so important for the cells in the lining of the gut because they produce short-chain fatty acids. But they're also higher in omega-6 fatty acids which are pro-inflammatory. These are, you know, the ones that, of course, everything is a balance, but we want more omega-3s compared to the omega-6s. And you make a brilliant statement. You say, you know, the gluten-free, gluten was caught in the cross, crossfire of reduction in of these two dietary patterns. So gluten may not be the bad guy, but the fer, reduction in fermentable carbs and increase in omega-6 fatty acids certainly is. They are, and, and that's, he, he, poor gluten was an innocent bystander. Uh, but uh, so we had, now we, we, we stand back and say, okay, okay, this was probably not a good idea. Again, we go back to the word people hate to hear, balance and moderation. They say, ah, that sounds so boring. Say, well, yeah, but it's going to make you live longer. That's, that's your choice. So that, um, again, the complexity of nutrition lends itself to people making bold statements which have no uh, support scientifically right and yeah and i think that's you know that's the challenge too right because i've been you know i've been a a part of the media in addition to practicing medicine for 20 years um and you know the the balance and moderation doesn't sell books i mean and it doesn't get airtime it doesn't make headlines on newspapers it's it's like you know, so you have to try to, but so I love, you know, gluten, you know, and they can read more about it in your book, The Resolution Zone. Let's briefly talk about, you know, dairy, because I think that was interesting too, with the epigenetic changes. So let's briefly go over that. And then I want to finish with lectins because this one, and I'm not even going to mention the name of the person (laughs) who's made this famous, but um, because I'm not allowed to publicly, but that's a whole nother story. But so talk a little bit about dairy and then lectins for us. Well, again, uh, the whole dairy story came out of one individual who basically said, my data is so clear cut that uh, dairy kills. I said, say what? Uh, but the fact is, uh, dairy was one of, the, uh, one of the best sources of protein that we've had for millennia. And uh, the fact that um, uh, what happens in terms of dairy, uh, remember, mother's breast milk, which has to be the most perfect food, is very rich in lactose. So uh, just as a dairy protein is. But when we're first born, we have the the enzyme that breaks it down. But we soon basically lose that enzyme. It's designed because as a child grows, mother's breast milk is not going to be enough to feed the child. Say, hey, time to try something else. Um, So again, for those who basically want dairy products, you know, the biggest problem with dairy products for those who are lactose intolerant. That's still about uh, two-thirds of the world's population. So they're going to have some gastric problems with lactose. Now, the early ways of getting rid of that was to ferment the lactose, giving things like like yogurt. It still has lactose, but lower levels. 
take the bake even going further, you can make cheeses, which the hard cheeses have virtually no lactose. But again, uh, this aspect that diet is, um, or dairy is dangerous, basically there is nothing to support that. Yeah, um, you brought up a really interesting point too um, in your book, because this to me struck home the most. You talk about epigenetic changes. So that's, you know, I don't want the viewers or listeners are obviously aren't going to fully understand that. But the idea that, you know, some time ago, you know, only 1% of the population retained the genes to metabolize lactose. But now it that number is 35%. So if dairy was so bad for you, these genetic changes, would not have been sustained and actually increase over time as a survival advantage. So that to me was the like the slam dunk. And, and I love, you know, the idea of, of fermented foods. This again brings us to ancient wisdom. You know, this is what before we had, you know, the Twinkie that lasted 150 years, people fermented food to have increased their nutrient balance and, and longevity. But I love the idea of of yogurt too, especially because of the probiotics and the fermentation. I think that's an essential, uh, you know, lean protein for so many people, um, especially with the, and, and the idea too, that, um, protein, you know, it, yes, you could get calcium from this and protein from this, but the food matrix of dairy that foods in their entirety are often much better for the body rather than isolated nutrients. So, you know, I, I, I love the fact that, you know, you're, you are a big fan of dairy. Let's talk, uh, well, I'm not a big fan, but it's a part of, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's not unlike paleo, which you say the zone is closely based on, you allow dairy, you allow some beans. Got, so let's, let's switch to lectins a little bit. So talk a little bit about what they are and why they're not killing us. Well, what lectins are, are a, a form of plant antibodies. Uh, so this is how plants basically help protect themselves against pathogens. Now, the, this whole aspect of lectins kill of, came from one individual whose name we will not mention and uh, was very successful at promoting it. Say, lectins kill. Well, first of all, most lectins are destroyed in the stomach. They're proteins. They're digested. Uh, second, uh, lectins, if you have a healthy gut, which means you have a very good mucosal layer, lectins will never get into the bloodstream. If they get in the bloodstream, it means you had a leaky gut in the first place. It wasn't the lectins fault, it was a leaky gut. So this whole story and say uh, things like um, uh, tomatoes, they contain lectins, they're dead though. Tell that to the Italians, uh, saying, say, you're eating the wrong things. The, the fact is, again, this is another thing that was a very, rapid rise to basically notoriety, but is not supported in any way whatsoever by any science. And I've actually seen scientific studies <clears throat> that that showed that uh, lectins may be protective. And I mean, if they're designed to protect plants, you know, this is what polyphenols are as well, right? I mean, they are designed to protect plants. They're pro most people don't realize, you know, they're protection mechanisms. That's why Pinot Noir has more uh, polyphenols, but anyways, we'll talk about that later. But um, you know, if they're they're protecting plants, I, I've seen studies that they actually may be protective in terms of certain types of cancers and and stimulating the immune system in in a positive way, not in a negative way. Well, and that's correct because again, if they're good for plant as plant antibodies, 
then say, let's use the, what the plants protect themselves against pathogens to protect ourselves. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, let's move on. Um, wait, one more thing, one more topic that I found really interesting I want to touch on briefly is um, because I, I believe this and I, I think there's research to support this, but um, I, I, you know, I think it's a complex subject. The idea of artificial sweeteners, because we all feel, again, sugar has been demonized. I am not quite so uptight about eliminating it completely, but certainly I'm not a fan of replacing it with artificial sweeteners. So what do you talk a little bit about that in terms of inflammation, insulin resistance, the gut, what's your, uh, what's your take? Well, again, the artificial sweeteners of, you know, they basically do replace the sugar, fine. But of, they say they're not absorbed. They're not absorbed, but they can be metabolized by the microbes in the gut. Let's take something like Splenda. Splenda is sugar where basically you replace the hydrogens with chlorine. Chlorine's not the same. That sounds dangerous. It says, oh, it's safe until it gets down to the microbes in the gut. And now basically you're now making new metabolites that enter the blood. And so we, we're now understanding that many of our artificial sweeteners, our chemical artificial sweeteners, basically have very adverse effects on our gut. Let's go back to Hippocrates. Basically, the best way to basically stop disease, have a healthy gut. So again, we want to basically look to remove those as much as we can from the diet and basically try to strike that balance, that balance that makes food taste better, but without destroying our gut and the immune system too, that protects the gut. What about um, non-nutritive but non-artificial sweeteners like stevia and monk fruit? Uh, what, what, what about those? I, I like those because they're, um, you know, they're more natural. Uh, uh, the newest one in the block, which is a very interesting one, is called Alios. And Alios uh, is uh, not a sugar, but it, it basically is a probiotic, I'm assuming, prebiotic. So it's a very effective um, uh, addendum to basically adding more sweetness without basically affecting the blood sugar levels. Oh, I'm glad you said that because <laughs> I, 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 I have a sweet tooth. I'm not going to lie. So stevia is a, a very important part of my life. Um, okay. So I think that's really, I think that's really important because, and, and I really, really, and there's also some data, by the way, on, um, uh, Splenda in terms of um, thyroid function and and an adverse effect on. So I, I'm really really not a fan. Plus the fact that it's 600 times sweeter than natural sugar. So we lose our normal ability to actually have enjoy natural sugars like in fruits and and um, and fructose. But that we'll have to save that one for another podcast. Um, so. Um, let's talk a little bit about, cause I thought this was super interesting in your, in your book, the resolution zone too, um, about, you know, diet comparisons and, and, you know, I want to briefly touch on the Mediterranean diet. Cause I, I know that gets a lot of press, um, and, and certainly on the top diets list. Um, and then I want to spend more time on keto cause you and I are on the same page yeah. on that, but you're much more well-versed in why. Um, so but let's start with the Mediterranean diet. Well, when we talk about the Mediterranean diet, nobody knows what they're talking about. The reason why, there are 16 countries that surround the Mediterranean Sea. And the diets in each 16 countries are quite different. So you have to have some direction. Uh, now, I've been, I go to Italy quite a bit. 
So here's what I do every time I go to Italy for every lunch and every dinner. For my appetizer, I have grilled vegetables. For my entree, I've got grilled fish, fish with more grilled vegetables. And for my dessert, fresh fruit. Every lunch, every dinner. Are you really that virtuous? Because I'm sorry, if I'm going to Italy, I'm going to have a little Chianti and gelato. I'm just saying, like, that's just me. <laughs> but maybe I don't go as much as you do. So maybe if I went regularly, I would get out of that habit. But, uh, you know. But, but, but it's, it is showing that it, basically these are not, there's nothing about the Mediterranean. It's just good common sense. You know, lean protein and lots of fruits and a little bit, uh, lots, lots of vegetables and a little fruit. They call it a day. And, and olive oil. And I mean, minimally processed, fresh. They go to the, far I mean, that's the, when I go to France, I do go to, but they go to the farmer's market every day and it's fresh produce and fresh everything that's in season. You know, I think that's an important consideration is that, you know, foods in season are probably even richer in polyphenols. Although again, to be practical, I think one of the good things for listeners is that frozen vegetables, uh, frozen fruits, actually berries in particular, because I know you're a big fan of those, but frozen berries are actually picked at the peak of their ripeness and the freezing at that at the peak helps preserve the polyphenols. So I've read studies that in some cases, frozen is just as good. And in some cases, if a fruit is out of season, it may even be superior because one of the things in this country, I mean, you can get strawberries and berries year round. They taste like garbage off season, but we can still get them. So I think, you know, going again, back to grandma, eating seasonally, eating minimally processed, getting your cod liver oil. Grandma got it right. By the way, speaking of grandmas, my husband's grandma just turned 104 in San Antonio last week and did a fashion show at her assisted living facility and walked the runway. So, and she is, by the way, a big fan of a caloric restriction and B their family actually had um, a, a produce business. So she was probably one of the people that ate 10 plus servings of fruits and vegetables every day. And she's 104 and, you know, thriving, which is so cool. So, but let's, so we, we have, uh, you know, just about five minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about keto because, um, you know, I, I remember when I reached out to you for a quote for my latest book and you said, please, please don't tell me that you're pushing keto now, Melina. And I'm like, absolutely not. I am on your team. Um, you know, the ketogenic diet I, I, I has just, and I, I loved your interview with Gary Taubes, you know, that I thought that was because it's like, okay, non-science argument versus wow. science argument. And it was, it, it wasn't the fact that he even thought he could debate you was extraordinary to me, but I, I hope I don't get hate mail after this. I probably, will, but whatever. So let's talk a little bit about the ketogenic diet. Cause that's super hot and it has been, and I'm, it's not going away right now. So what do listeners need to know about that diet? Well, ketogenic diets rise and fall like the tides of uh, many people forget the name Bob Atkins uh, and uh, say, say uh, the evil one, carbohydrates are the evil one. Uh, the fact is the, the body needs some carbohydrates and especially the one organ needs the most, uh, most uh, carbohydrates, the brain. So uh, what happens when you take carbohydrates out of the diet? Uh, one, blood sugar levels will drop. The brain gets uh, worried. So, I'm dying up here. I'm dying. 
even uh, and so what the body does, it responds to make carbohydrates by ripping out muscle and converting it to glucose for the brain. Uh, the data from Harvard Medical School in the 1970s, when they ran uh, experiments doing fasting, total fasting, for 35 days, the blood sugar levels never dropped below 65 of you know milligrams per deciliter. Low, but not abnormally low. Okay, well, how is the blood being maintained with a glucose? You're ripping out muscle. Now, that uh, that's bad part one. Part two, how do you do it? You're now making more cortisol. What does cortisol do? It does three things. It makes you fat because it causes insulin resistance. It makes you sick. It depresses the immune system. It makes you dumb uh, because it basically uh, destroys the memory cells in the hippocampus. So uh, that's why when you start to move the pendulum too much in one direction, there'll be the body will respond hormonally in the different direction and be careful of the consequences. But how do you, how do you, and by the way, you and I are in total agreement on this, but I want to know how you respond because what they, what a keto person will then say to you is, well, when, when you're fat adapted, you actually begin then to, you know, uh, to, to change your metabolism changes and, and you no longer lose muscle. Now, I don't know about the cortisol thing. That's in, so how do you respond to that fat adaptation? Cause there's a lot, I mean, listen, we, we have to, you know, tackle this head on. And cause there's a lot of people that have been successful. There's athletes that purport to be successful on a ketogenic diet, which blows my mind. Um, by the way, remember when, uh, sorry, I digress, but remember when we uh, had breakfast with the ultra marathon runner, Dean Carnassus in San Francisco, yeah. and he was like, you've changed my life. This guy, he's running 300 miles at a time, did 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days doing the zone diet. So just a little transgression, but kudos to you for that. That was a really fun breakfast. But so again, how do we respond to the fat adaptation uh, argument? Well, I say, I guess that person's living on planet two. It, it, you know, say it, it doesn't exist. That's why we do science. And I thought I'd put this all to bed back in 2006, when we published in the, uh, our paper in the uh, American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, the premier nutrition journal in the world. We basically did a controlled study of, and be, give, we controlled all the food the patients ate. One group got, and they got the same number of calories, same amount of protein, but just changed the ratio of protein of carbohydrate to fat. So those who got the, the ketogenic diet of, and the other ones got the zone diet. Those on the zone diet, they lost more weight. They lost more fat. And they basically could see their energy levels increase, uh, both from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint. But the only thing that the ketogenic diet was superior that within six weeks, it had doubled the levels of inflammation in the blood. The ketogenic diet is a pro-inflammatory diet. The data is quite clear. It's, you know, out there, I thought I'd put it to bed. Now it's coming out of it. It's almost like Halloween. It's like Michael Myers. I'm reemerging. Uh, so the fact is, if we, if we think that inflammation is bad, then basically the ketogenic diet is a pro-inflammatory diet. And I've also seen, I mean, personally in my patients, I've seen, you know, pretty significant increases in um, bad cholesterol uh, fairly quickly um, in following a ketogenic diet. 
despite weight loss. So that is, you know, obviously the opposite of what we want to do. So they, they may be thinner temporarily, but they're going to be inflamed uh, at a higher risk for heart issues. Um, you know, so I, I think that's important to note. We don't want to be thin at any cost, but I want to push back a little bit because you bring up a 2006 study. And um, there's also studies, you know, the famous A to Z study where, mm-hmm. you know, the and, and I think and this is where I, I love what you do. I've always loved the science, but I'm always looking for ways to make things more practical and livable. So the A to Z study really showed that and they considered I don't know why they consider. Well, the zone was more of a moderate, but the ultra, you know, the super low carb or super low fat people didn't stay on the zone diet and the weight watchers people did, but adherence still wasn't as great as we would hope, especially the problem with everything that you say and do. And I say problem in a nice way is that as you say, people aren't aware of that chronic low grade internal inflammation. They're aware of how they look in the mirror you know, and, and that's all they pay attention to, sadly, most of the time. Um, even even if they have an acute incident like a heart attack, it's amazing to me that people will clean up their diet for like six months and then go back to their old ways. So in the final few minutes, let's really talk about the most practical ways to implement the zone diet, resolution zone your next book, The Immune Zone, which is you're working on that now, correct? Um, correct. Let's really, let's make it, let's end with uh, your most practical tips. And you can't say eat one macadamia nut. Do you remember the argument that we got in when we were filming oh. the show? When you were, you said it's, one it's macadamia true. nut. And I'm like, but yes, I know it's true, but I said, I'm like, I am never going to sit down and eat just one macadamia nut. So we got to, this is where we have to be as practical as possible about it. So give us, give us your best, your best shot. Well, the best shot, it basically, it's all about awareness. Awareness of saying, what do I want out of life? I want to squeeze as much as I can out of life. I want a drug that allows me to basically live longer, live better. No such drugs coming. So, so, okay. But there is, if you're willing to treat food as if it were a drug, you take it the right dose at the right time. Now, is it hard? Well, I just mentioned when I go to Italy, it's not very hard to eat uh, grilled vegetables and grilled fish and fresh fruit. It's easy, easy peasy type of thing. So you have to have basically a, a driving reason. You're going to find the people who are more desperate are going to be more compliant. Because, well, I'm doing okay. Uh, say, okay. It's like the old Midas muffler uh, commercial. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. And so uh, we have to be cognizant in America, our health span is decreasing. We might be living longer because we're being uh, you know, carried by, uh, along by drugs, but our health span is radically decreasing. And if we want to basically have our own personal health span to expand, there's a pathway. The pathway is through the diet. It always has been, always will be. And I and I love that. And we'll just and you know I, I'm gonna I say we're ending, and then I'm gonna have a no because you say 
and I, I agree with you. I talk about health span all the time because I don't want to just increase my patient's lifespan. I want them to live longer and better and, and enjoy their children and grandchildren and, you know, all, all the pleasures of life, be able to go to Italy and enjoy things. But, you know, you say it's 80% diet, uh, which I very much agree with. Um, and, and so with that, I would say, you know, your, your message, you know, staying in the zone, but also adding in herbs and spices, I'm going to throw that in, you say 15% exercise and, you know, you and I are, I think a little different on this. I still love for me, I have to exercise intensely to feel, you know, the, the rush, um, you know, so, but I think you advocate a more moderate approach, which, uh, and, and so practical, you, you said, you know, walk two minutes every 20 minutes and you'll have 48 minutes a day. And, and I think that is such a cool thing. So, so what do you do for exercise? And then you say 5% is stress. What do you do for stress management? So exercise and stress, Dr. Barry Sears. Okay. For exercise, I actually work out about two hours a day. I'll do about an hour in the morning of stretching with light resistance. And then I'll do about an hour in the afternoon with heavier weights to cause exhaustion. That is fine because what you're looking to do is now to increase the master switch of longevity, which is AMPK. Uh, and now relative to, uh, you know, stress reduction, you know, here's a good way of stress reduction. About two hours before you go to bed, turn off the internet turn off the TV set, get a good book and read it. And because we're looking to basically, we, we work, we're still basically, we're still organisms. We go on circadian rhythms. And so uh, the more you can reduce stress, easier said than done these days. Again, it has a role to play, but a minor compared to the diet. Exercise is powerful, but minor compared to the diet. Put them all the three together. You've got the basically the magic elixir for the longer and better life we all want. I love it. I love it. So what's on your nightstand real quick before we wrap up? What are you reading these days? Well, actually, I'm uh, reading a, uh, an interesting book um, of relative to uh, Jock Yule. He was a philosopher in the 1930s who basically warned about what he called the technique. The technique is basically how technology can overtake our lives and make us less human. Wow. I love that. I knew it would be something much more intellectual than what I'm reading. <laughs> Again, thank you so much, Barry. This is uh, just, this makes me so happy just because you're such a wealth of knowledge. And, and I, I feel like you and I are on the same side, you know, and on the same team. And, and I, I so much have embraced uh, so much of your wisdom over the past 20 years of my career and, and for the next 20 years, I'm sure. So again, thank you, Dr. Barry Sears. If you want to learn more about Dr. Sears, his website is drsears.com. That's drsears.com. And his other website to one, all of his system with the resolution response and the resolution zone is zoneliving.com. So again, Dr. Barry Sears, thank you so much. This has been great. And I hope you all turn into both episodes of Practically Healthy by Dr. Molina to hear all of the wisdom. Molina, thank you very much. Have a great day.